There is one verse that stands out in this passage. It is verse 20. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, but a bit more of that a bit later. Having just said that, it is the only letter to the churches that says that these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. But there is more than that. It is the only place where it occurs in the book of Revelation. For a moment, let us reflect upon that. You see, the description emphasizes the majesty of his person. We read about his eyes, indicating that he sees all, and his feet, he will swiftly pursue all that is evil, and that possibly he will tread it down. Keep that in mind as we delve through this passage. It is interesting to note that it is the longest letter to the churches and to the least important of the seven cities. Yes, Thyatira was smaller and less significant than the previous three, but its strength was that it was commercial, or it had a commercial rather than a political position. Archaeologists have discovered that many trade guilds took place there. There were bakers, bronze workers, clothiers, cobblers, weavers, dyers, and potters. You might remember that Lydia, one of Philippi's most known converts, had come from Thyatira, where she traded in materials treated with purple dye made from crustaceans. She had moved to Philippi, where she heard Paul preach the gospel and was baptised. And perhaps it was Lydia who returned to Thyatira and planted a church there. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that this prosper prosperous city had a prosperous church. But listen to the words of Jesus as he greets this church. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. Wouldn't that be wonderful if Jesus said the same words about ABC? That we were loving, faithful in service while persevering? I guess in some ways we're doing that now by doing this, continuing, but then so are many other churches. You see, there were four great Christian qualities that should be celebrated. Thyatira, like Ephesus, was busy in Christian service, but it demonstrated what Ephesus did not, love. It held the faith which Pergamum had struggled with and shared with Smyrna, the virtue of patience in tribulation. And like Ephesus, who had lost her first love, Jesus says that these people, the church, were doing more than what they first did. It was far from a church that was black backsliding. And it was one who understood what the Christian life is a life of growth, a life of progress, a life of continuing development. Please do not think that as soon as you become a Christian, that's it, you don't need to do anymore. I think that's probably why people fall away from the church. No, it is just the beginning. In a way, that's the easy part, for the journey of discipleship has just begun. A life of sacrifice and self-denying should follow. 
And this is partly what was happening here as we were here shortly. Think about this for a moment. Do we remain babies and crawl and coo? Or do we learn to walk and talk? It's the natural process that we should move on from our childlike ways into maturity. So surely our Christian life should be like that too. So how is your Christian life? Is it growing or stagnant? Are you learning or sinking? Are you on a journey or standing still? The New Testament talks of growth in faith and love, in the knowledge of holiness. So how are you and I faring? How have you been during this COVID year? Have you regularly watched us live online? Or chose a time to watch on your own, not to bother to send encouraging texts to one another? Have you sought other means of fellowship or remained outside that of church contact? Have you got caught up in worldly attractions and forgot your first love? Despite the encouraging opening comments about Thyatira, it is not long before we hear of its downfall, though not for all. Stott titles this part a poisonous weed, saying that it is in this fair field, a poisonous weed was being allowed to luxuriate. A word that means wallow, bask, indulge, revel. Her name is Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Now often people who call themselves such titles can often be deluded. Jezebel is not her real name, but a reference to the wife of Ahab in 1 Kings 16 who brought with her from Sidon her own gods and caused Ahab and his people to worship Baal. However, she was a deceiver in a way that she wanted them to worship both Jehovah and Baal. At a feast, she slew the prophets of the Lord and supported 450 prophets of Baal. She was referred to as Ahab's evil genius. It is now a name associated with wickedness. She was notoriously the immoral woman who had seduced Ahab and Israel from the worship of the true God. So this new Jezebel of Thyatira, born nearly a thousand years later, was an evil and seductive influence on the purity and life and worship of the early church. Like her predecessor, she had no desire to destroy the church, but rather add new ways and new practices which were destructive to the faith. She wanted to alter Christianity to suit herself and her likings, assuming that she could improve upon the teaching of Jesus Christ. So what were these accusations? Verse 20 tells us that she leads the church in fornication, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Earlier, we heard Lynn read that the church in Thyatira displayed love and faith, service and endurance, but one thing was missing. 
holiness. You see, the church that allowed one of its members, a feeble member, to teach such false doctrine, and they made no attempt to stop her. I can visualize an attractive woman who both men fancied and admired, who held the position and authority only to lead them astray. Many of you will remember the song, Devil Woman by Cliff Richard. Years ago, I met the woman who claimed that that song was written about her. She'd been heavily involved in the occult and had a powerful encounter with Jesus. Her life was changed. But I have to be honest, I was still a bit wary of her. You could not doubt that Thyatira had love, but sadly tolerated an evil, self-styled prophetess. Holiness must be the life and character of the Christian and of the true church. Throughout the New Testament, we read that it is God's will that believers be sanctified, holy, pure, and avoid sexual immorality. Holiness is not only God's will, but his purpose. Think about this. God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It is the purpose of the Son's death. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that were his very own, eager to do what is good. It is the purpose of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And who gives you his Holy Spirit? Here then are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the one eternal Godhead, united in their purpose to make us holy. Isn't that amazing? But if God's purpose is to make us holy, Satan is resolved to frustrate it by enticing both believers and churches into sin. Homework for this week. Have a look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 to 6. But don't panic too much about it because we're going to be hearing about that in March next year. I am sure I am not alone in knowing Christians who come across as super spiritual, or believers who feel that they are elite. We have had a few through these doors, and gladly they have left us. I know of others who take delight in criticizing Christian leaders or Christian charities. And again, they don't normally attend church themselves. I'm glad they don't, but I still question what harm do they do. It is most likely that this Jezebel and her new followers thought they were special. And later, like the Gnostics, saw themselves as spiritual aristocracy, bragging that they knew the deep things which allowed them privileges. Privileges that allowed them the sins of the flesh without any damage to the spirit. So it seems like the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites their practices of sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols were tolerated at Thyatira. Ephesus hated the practices of the Nicolaitans and could not tolerate them 
Pergamum had some who held the teaching of the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans. But Thyatira Tyra tolerated them. So it seems as though the church of Thyatira was weak towards this new Jezebel as Ahab was to the old. At the beginning of this talk, I mentioned that this is the only letter where Jesus identifies himself and of two qualities he possesses. And you could question, why does he say those things? Well, I believe it's because the church at Thyatira needed assurance more than the rest of the other churches. Because of the practices of Jezebel and her party, whose actions were being held in secret, locked behind closed doors and in the darkness. But Jesus knew, which is why he introduces himself to the church as the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. Thursday evening on our home group Zoom, we were looking at the second part of John's Gospel. Our icebreaker was, if you could be present at any part or any story within the Gospel, what would it be? Where would you be? Each of us shared our heart's desire. Though the turning of the water to, into wine was quite a popular one. But we all missed one thing, the eyes of Jesus. I've said it before, how Robert Powell in the Jesus of Nazareth trilogy or series never smiles and portrays Jesus as a solemn person. Yet Jesus' eyes must have fascinated people when he was on the earth. The Pharisees seemed to shrivel up in shame as he looked at them in anger. And Peter, Peter could never erase from his imagination the gaze of those loving but disappointed eyes as Jesus looked straight at him as the cock crowed. I can but imagine the laughter lines upon his face when Jesus encountered children. Yet Jesus also knew what was in the hearts of the people. You see, the wicked tell themselves that their wickedness is not known and will never be found out. But God sees. And God will judge. God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. The people of God need to know that they should live in the presence of Christ, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and who searches hearts and minds. Nothing can be hidden from him. Surely this alone is why we should live a holy life. So far I have touched upon the teaching in verse 20. Verse 20 tells us that she leads the church in fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now let me start with the second part because we can be surer of its meaning. One of the great problems of the early Christian church at that time was the problem of meat being offered to idols. When a man made a 
sacrifice in a Greek temple. Very little of the meat was burnt on the altar, and the rest was given to the priests or returned to the giver. The giver could then do two things. He could hold a feast with his friends in the temple, or he could take it home and hold a feast for his friends. And here was the problem for the Christian. Could a Christian go to a feast which was held in a heathen temple? Could he enter the doors of such a place? Could he eat of food sacrificed to idols? But the problem lies even deeper. As if he bought meat from a butcher, that too might have been offered to idols before it was sold to the public, having been sold by the priests. The early church had no doubt as to where their Christian duty lay. And that was to abstain from all things offered to idols. But the refusal to eat such meat had far-reaching consequences as it cut off Christians from all social meetings with non-Christians. Think back to the beginning of my talk when I mentioned about the guilds. Now these guilds often met together and shared a common meal which consisted of meat offered to idols. So the Christian could not attend such a meal, but it meant more than that. It meant that to a Christian trader or craftsman, it meant commercial suicide, as they could not be a member of that guild. And this is where Jezebel came in, for she urged Christians that there was no reason to cut themselves off from society and that there was no harm in accepting the world's customs and the world's ways. She did this to protect her own business and trade, but in reality she was saying that the standards of the church must be abandoned for the sake of business. Are there standards in your life that are being abandoned for the sake of worldly pleasure? That nicely leads me into the other teaching of Jezebel, which may seem clear to the reader, but it is not so black and white. She is told to teach the people to commit fornication and is urged to repent of it. What is not clear if she was literally promoting adultery or was it to be taken metaphorically? Could it refer to spiritual infidelity to God. The general census appears that she was telling Christians that it's okay to join these guilds, saying there is no harm in accepting the world's customs and the world's ways. Totally the opposite of Jesus' teaching. Jesus who said in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters, you cannot serve God and wealth. This letter, like the others, concludes with compassionate promises to the overcomer, the one who obeys the moral law of Christ. In fact, there were two promises for those that do. He promised to give the overcomer authority over the nations and the morning star. Again, this is somewhat difficult to interpret. However, if Christ is to give to the sinner what his deeds deserve, he will also give to the conqueror far beyond 
what his deeds could ever begin to deserve. As for the gift of the morning star, in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus describes himself as the bright morning star. Now, the churches may be the lampstands, and the church's angels may be described as stars, but Christ is the bright morning star from whom all receive their light. So in pledging this star to the conqueror, then Christ is pledging to give himself. The question for us all is, are we keeping the standard of the world with all its alluring temptations? Or are we totally following the teachings of Jesus? Is there a Jezebel in our lives whispering in our ears saying, it's okay to do that sin. Jesus isn't expecting you to refrain from, and I'll let you answer that. Far from it. It is by rejecting Jezebel that we will receive Christ and be permitted to share not only in his authority, but also in his glory. They will not only rule the nations, but also serve the Lord of the nations. So which one is it? One leads to glory, the other one leads to death. May we remain pure and be a light for others to follow. Amen.